0: Well, church, we're so glad that you guys are here with us. Again, if it's your first time catching us, hanging out online, uh, I would love to invite you to fill out one of those links if it's your first time here. Uh, If you're first time here in person, I'm going to be down here in the front afterwards. I promise not to get six feet uh, uh, closer to you, but I'd love to get a chance to meet you, uh, to get to know you if today is your very first time here with us. We're in this series called Frequency, and the whole point of today's talk is to be able to help you learn how to hear God better. Okay, so we've been doing that over the courses last week. We're on week three, so you're coming in kind of on a, on a series. There's not a whole lot of things that you necessarily would need to know uh, that you missed on the other ones, but there are things that I hope you get today that lead you into a place where you actually hear God better. First week in this series, we talked about hearing God specifically through His Word and how all the other ways in which we would hear God, they, they always go back to this, and this is the filter through which we see them through. Last week, we talked about how to hear God through pain how to hear God in the midst of what we're going through. And today we're going to be talking about how to hear God through promptings. Now, when I talk about promptings, you may have felt some of this before. It's that little nudge. You know, a lot of times you see in the cartoon, you got the angel on this side and the devil on this side. And, And, you know, you hear those voices in our head that feel like they're leading you to do things. And today I want to try to help you discern those God promptings, see if they are from God and know how to obey, what to ignore, and how God can speak to you more and better than he ever has. Before I do that, I want to ask you a question, all right? Where are you at when you hear God speak to you the most, okay? So, so where is that place for you where you feel like you hear God? If you're, if you're watching this online on a live stream somewhere, just type it in the comments. Where's that place for you? Is it the garden? Is it the bathroom? Is it the shower? Is it, you know, uh, my, my special chair in, in my bedroom? Is it somewhere in the woods? Where is it for you? In the comments, you write that down in, for us in person. Just shout some stuff out. Where do you hear from God the most? Where is it for you? The lake, yes, yes, please, yes, Lord. Where else? The judge? What? What was that over here? The truck, yes, yes, yeah. Where else? The beach. Mm. Hmm. Hmm. Anywhere else? Good. The porch. Amen. So we have all these different places where we hear from God. What I want to invite you to do, and this is a cool activity. Hopefully, we can uh, build some fun in this and have some fun with this. Is what I want to invite you to do is to take a five to 10 second video with your phone, five to 10 second video of whatever that place is. Okay, now again, it's 2020, I have to say these kind of things just for a disclaimer. If your place is not church appropriate, don't take a picture of it. Like, first of all, I don't know how you're hearing God there. Second of all, like, whatever. Like, nobody wants to see your bedroom. Uh, You know, or or if you are gonna send us a picture of your bedroom, make your bed. Um, (laughs) But whatever you're gonna send, Send it to McDonough Christian Church at Gmail. Very easy, very easy to remember uh, email. Send it to McDonough Christian Church, the name of the place you happen to be at today, at gmail.com. And we'd love to do that. We're going to put those together and we're going to create a little video that shows us, you know, so you can see where everybody else hears from God. All right? Let's pray and we're going to dive in how to hear Him through His promptings today. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. As we open it today, God, we pray that it comes to the forefront, that we hear from it that we hear from you, that you speak, that the same prayer that we prayed at the very beginning of this series, that speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, would be true in this moment. That regardless of if we came in today knowing we had our faith all figured out and we knew exactly who you were and when you came and we understood everything about it, regardless of that, if we could just in this moment understand that you're real, and that you love us, and that you want to communicate to us, that would be enough. Let us position our hearts to hear from you. We love you, Jesus. In your name. Amen. How many of you may have watched the baseball game last night? Braves game. Anybody watched the Braves game last night? Yes. Amen. Jesus, thank God for, for baseball. So, uh, those of you who know me well know I'm a huge baseball guy. Like Baseball is my sport. Baseball is what I played in high school and college. It is, um, outside of Jesus and my family, one of the most important things to me. Uh, I love it. It's been miserable not having baseball through the rest of the misery that has sometimes been 2020. But last night, uh, Marcelo Zuna, one of the new outfielders for the Braves, he hit a 98-mile-an-hour fastball over the fence in the ninth inning to put the Braves into uh, basically a tie game that would eventually lead to them being in extra innings. Now, I don't know about you, but the, one of the things about baseball that is so fascinating, and again, today, for our kids in the room, the thing we're talking about, the three things, is three sports. All right, So you should already have one written down. All right, Baseball is amazing, but I don't think we understand how amazing it is when a hitter takes a round bat, again, round, round bat and a round ball that's traveling at 98 miles an hour and hits it 400 plus feet and so i want to go a little sports science on you for a second to help you understand the magnitude of what happens when a guy like marcelo zuna hits a 98 mile an hour fastball 400 plus feet okay so first of all this thing that's called a baseball is 2.86 inches in diameter okay that's not very big and the bat is only you know about the same in diameter and again a round thing and a round thing don't go together when you're trying to hit them squarely, all right? On top of that, the average baseball travels the 60 feet 6 inches from home plate to the pitcher's mound, all right? So the ball is traveling there at .43 seconds. Again, the pitch that uh, uh, Azuna hit out was 98 miles an hour. So .43 seconds is on average how long it takes to get from the pitcher's mound to home plate where the hitter is, all right? Take that. And couple that with the reality of the anatomy of your own body. So the human eye, like all of us, and for some of us it may be less, for some it may be more. But the human eye, it takes one-fifth of a second for your eye to even receive and register that something is coming your way. Okay, So if you threw a ball at me, it would take my eye one-fifth of a second to even realize there's something coming to me. Duck. When you combine those two facts, what you have is a very small margin of error. The the margin between a swing and a hit and a swing and a miss is 10 milliseconds. To put that in reference, because not a whole lot of us are measuring things in milliseconds. But the margin between a swing and a miss and a swing and a hit is 10 milliseconds. That is 15 times faster than you blinking your eye. Okay? So try to blink your eye. Everybody blink for me. Blink online. Blink. Okay. Now try to do that 15 times faster than what you just did. Hard, right? So I can't can't get it. What's wrong with him? How much caffeine has he had? So the margin of error is incredibly small, but if you talk to any uh, baseball player. If you talk to a coach, one of the things that they will all the time tell you that it takes to be able to do something that now we realize is almost impossible. Again, baseball is an incredibly difficult sport. Like it's, I would I would make an argument with anybody that's harder than things like soccer. Okay, soccer. You can like I'm I'm not a, I'm not an amazing soccer player. I never really played soccer. But run me out on the field and I can at least kick a ball. Run a soccer player onto a baseball field, throw something 98 miles an hour at them. I don't think they're going to touch it. I can at least kick a round ball. Now, again, we can have the argument after church. Here's the deal, though. You talk to any baseball player. What they will tell you is in order to hit the ball, you need two things. Two things primarily is you need a good swing. Okay, So the visual aspect of it, the mechanical, like mechanics of being able to hit, you have to have that type of thing. You have to have a good swing. All right. On top of having a good swing, the other thing that you have to have is timing. If you want to connect with the ball, there's got to be timing. Now if you pushed an athlete, if you pushed a baseball player a little bit harder, you said, "Okay, of a good swing and timing, which of those is actually the most important?" They would tell you it's timing. Because here's the deal. You could have the most beautiful, just perfect, just fundamentally sound swing there is, not that wasn't it. That's the reason that I'm not I'm here as your pastor and not on TV. But you can have the most fundamentally sound swing ever. And if your timing is off, you will still not hit the ball. But those of us who coach Little League know this to be true that even your little kids, with their absolutely terrible swings, if they time it right, I mean, I can throw to Ezra, and Ezra's got the helicopter thing down, just (laughs) terrible swing, but good timing, and he can hit the ball, he can connect. And what I want you guys to know today is your creator God, the person who knit you together in your mother's womb, who who created your life, he wants to connect with you. And I think if we were all willing to be honest today, we would say we want to connect with that God as well. Like we want some connection. We want there to be contact between us and him so that he could help us through what we're going through. But in the same way that timing is everything in baseball, if we're going to connect with our creator it's going to take us capitalizing on timing and being able to not miss out on those God moments. For all of us, we know those times. Those times in your life where you just, you just know, like, this was a God thing. Like, you felt like God was leading you to do something. It was kind of random, but you did it. And you had one of those moments where you went, oh, man, let me, just, let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you about this God thing, how he divinely lined things up. We've had those moments in our life, right? And for all of us, we want more of those. We want to get on God's timing. We want to be able to hear what he's saying in those moments and not miss it. And I want you to understand how the Bible, in the New Testament specifically, talks about time. Okay, The Bible in the New Testament uses two different words for time as it's talked about in the New Testament. The first word that's used and interpreted as time is actually the Greek word chronos. Everybody say chronos. Kronos, if you want to roll that R and sound super exotic, yeah, <laughs> Kronos. And then the next word is Kairos, Kairos. See, Kronos time is like watch time. That's being able to count the moments, count the seconds, count all that. That's Chronos time. Kairos time is different though. Kairos time is actually carpe diem. It's that seize the day. It's less tracking the minutes and it's more capturing the moments. Paul, in in Ephesians 5.16, he said, redeem the time. The word he used there was not redeem the chronos, the chronological time. He said, redeem the moments. And what he's trying to get across there is we, as God's people, can have these divine connecting points with God for impact, greater than we could have had ever on our own, if we can seize that timing to be able to connect with him. And the way that he does that, more often than not, is through these things called Promptings. Promptings. Promptings of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you hear people talking about, man, I felt like the Holy Spirit nudged me. Some people like, I'm like, the Holy Spirit punched me in the stomach. Like That's how he gets me a lot of times. But you hear those things. People talk about those, right? You've probably had some of those moments where you felt like there is a right thing to do or there is a thing to do that I'm being led to do that just kind of came out of nowhere. It arrested my attention and made me pause for a second. And what I want you to do today is understand that those God moments are out there for you. And I want to lead you into a place where you can experience those. But the tension, guys, in this, and the the reality for a lot of us is, remember last week we talked about pain. We said we all want to hear God through pain, but one of the biggest things that hinders us from hearing God in the midst of our pain is pride. Pride our pride that says, God, you did this, I'm mad at you, our pride that says it should have never turned out this way, we get all prideful about what we're going through in the midst of our pain, and it keeps us from hearing from God, because oftentimes how he speaks to us in the midst of pain is so much different than how we ever would in any other circumstance. Pride keeps us from hearing God in pain. The thing that keeps us from hearing God through those small promptings, day in, day out, is this thing called our pace. The pace at which we run makes it incredibly difficult To hear from a God who loves us and cares for us. And that's kind of the world we live in. It's so fast-paced that it's hard to be able to slow down and connect with God. And the enemy, which we have an enemy, and he wants to keep us busy. He wants the dial of the noise of the world to be turned up so loud in our life. He wants to keep us going so fast on the chronos time that we miss out on the moments that God wants to have for us. And here's his his whole purpose. If he can get us moving so fast in the race of life, we will miss out on vertically connecting with the love of our Father. And because we miss out on that love, we also miss out on connecting and sharing that love with the people around us. So today what I want to do is I want to walk you through four ways that I have found that will help you in your life, regardless of, of when you feel these promptings, to be able to know whether or not these are from God and something I should obey? Or are these from some other place and it is something I should ignore? Before I do that, I want to make a few things that, that help you understand these promptings. First of all, in regards to promptings, they are the thing that is in the wheelhouse of the Holy Spirit. Promptings are, are, are the Holy Spirit's, one of the Holy Spirit's primary roles in our lives. It's to help us and to lead us into what is supposed to be the life that Jesus died to give us. I love what the book of Ephesians, Paul's writing in Ephesians, and he says this. Just kidding, not Ephesians. Just kidding. It's John 16, verse 7. It was Jesus and not Paul. Super wrong there. This is what he said. Jesus is talking. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Which, that wouldn't make sense, right? Jesus, let's hang out with you. We all want to hang out with Jesus. Jesus says, no, no, no. It's for your advantage that I go away. The helper, helper, capital H there, the helper is the Holy Spirit. He says, the helper will come to you. So it's, it's for your advantage that I go away because you're going to get something that's going to help you more than I could. and It's called the helper. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Greek word there for helper is the word paraclete. Paraclete. And oftentimes when we think of the Holy Spirit, sometimes we can think of the Holy Spirit as a comforter because oftentimes that verse right there, I read it to you in the ESV because off, more often than not, maybe your translation right there, it says the comforter. And I think sometimes we can hear comforter and think like, Holy Spirit is my snuggie. And, and he, when I feel sad, he helps me out. And that's, that is a part of who the Holy Spirit is. He does comfort us in our times of, of brokenness and pain. That is for certain. But he is also a counselor. And in, in the Greek term there, paraclete, is actually talking about like in, the, in a law council of saying, almost as a lawyer would counsel you as to what is the right action to, k- to take in a civil suit. In the same way, that's what the Holy Spirit does. So he prompts us, he guides us, and directs us. Now, some of you may be wondering, like, Trent, I'm a grown woman. And, and I don't know why I need somebody to t- help me along every little instance of my life to prompt me to do what's right and to what's wrong. Here's the deal, though, guys. Jesus... He knows every animal in the entire animal kingdom. And when he was picking out an animal to describe and to create a metaphor of the relationship between us and him, he did not choose bears in their majesty and and their ability to to be creative and, and, and catch fish in their mouth as they're swimming upstream. He did not choose eagles soaring. He did not choose prideful, majestic lions. He did not even choose peacocks in their grandeur. He chose dumb dirty, stubborn sheep. This is what he said in in, in John 10, in talking about the type of shepherd he is and and, and helping us understand this metaphor. In John 10, 4, he said, but he who has brought out all his own, and so he's talking about the shepherd who's brought out all his own sheep, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Friend, do you know his voice? Like if he was calling you right now, would you be able to understand and interpret that that was in fact from him? See, Jesus is a good shepherd and he wants to help us. and He wants to love us. He wants to show us the right way. And he says his sheep, his true sheep, will know his voice and they'll answer, his, answer and call him. So I want to ask you a question. And you can, if you're online, please participate. Write this in the comments. I'll, on a scale of 1 to 10, okay, where would you say you're at? In, in hearing those promptings from God, where are you at? On a scale of 1 to 10, if you're in the comments, just write down a number, no judgment zone. If you're here, go ahead and have that number. If you're 1, one to 10, like well, 10 is like God told me to eat Fruit Loops this morning. 1 is I get text message, I get bills in the, and emails, but I don't get no messages from God. He ain't telling me nothing. You got 1, 5, and you got 6 to 10. Where you fall in that? I want to offer some advice to both ends of the scale. If you're on that one to five range and you're saying, I'd love to hear some more God promptings in my life, not hearing a whole lot. I'm kind of going about my my, my business. Here's what I would say to you. You remember those times when you were in the market for a new vehicle, like you wanted a new car, and you kind of had it narrowed down to a couple different cars or maybe you had it pegged on one car that you wanted. What did you start doing as you drove around town? You started seeing what you were looking for, didn't you? You it everywhere you go in the gas station, you see that car, you're driving on the interstate, you see that car, you're sitting in traffic, and you see that car, you're sitting in traffic, and you see that car, you're sitting in traffic, and you see that car. Because you live in a McDonald's, you're sitting in that car. In the same way, some of you need to get in the market for the Holy Spirit. You will only see what you are looking for. And that's, that's actually a, a mental dynamic. Like that is in, hardwired into the, the science that is in your brain. That is anatomically predestined inside of you that you would actually be able to see and witness the things that the Holy Spirit is leading you to. But if you are not looking for those things, you will not see those things. You will not hear those promptings. Now let me talk to the people who are, I'm like, I'm 6 to 10. Jesus is telling me everything. He prompted me to do this. You're that person who comes up and you know you're the one who touches me on the chest and says... Trent, the Lord told me to tell you this. And the first thing, I'm going to be real with you guys. First thing when you say that to me, I take a step back. And I go, okay, this is going to be fun. But here's the deal. If you're there, let me offer you just a little warning. And it's good news that you're there. You should be in tune with the Holy Spirit. That is a good thing. Here's my little warning, though. If everything that you feel like God is telling you to do and to not do, also just so happen to be things that you want to do or not do, you may not be hearing from the Holy Spirit as much as you're hearing from your own motives and emotion. Because there was this guy named Abraham, and and God said, Abraham, I need you to go and, and sacrifice your son Isaac. And there was this guy named Hosea, and he said, I need you to actually stay married to this prostitute. And there was this woman named Mary, and, she, and she said, I need you to actually carry this, this baby full term because this baby is from God. And I know you're going to be objectified. I know people are going to you know, look at you and cast shame upon you. And there's this guy named Joseph, and he wanted to divorce this girl named Mary. But, but God showed up to him and said, hey, I know that's going to be uncomfortable because you're going to have a pregnant wife who you didn't impregnate. But I need you to do this. And then there was this man named Jesus who said, "Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, let it be, but not my will, but your will be done." So if everything that you feel like God's prompting to do is also something that you want to do, you may want to be careful. So I want to help you understand some ways that you can know for sure whether or not the Holy Spirit is truly prompting you in the midst of what you're going through. First thing, is this, to know if we're prompting is God, and these are all in the form of a question, these are, these are uh, distinguishing questions here, is does the Bible back this up? Does the Bible back this up? Okay, you get a prompting, you get one of those nudges, a little thing like, hey, go text, text this person, call this person, stop by, drop them off some cookies, invite them to church. First place we go is does the Bible back this up? Now hear me on this, guys. This is why it is so critical that we are people of the word, because the Holy Spirit's job is to remind you of the things of Christ. And if the things of Christ aren't hidden in your head and in your heart, those things can't be prompted like he doesn't have a cue to prompt you to. And that's, that's why I love you know, what, what the Bible talks about in this idea in, in Luke 21.3. In regards to promptings and people and you know, all these things, the key is back to God's word. In Luke 21.33 it says, Heaven and earth, they're going to pass away. But Jesus is talking here, and he says, "But My words will never pass away. This is always a place you can go back to. This is always a place you can land and lean. And then 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, Paul picks up on this idea, and this is what he says. He says, All Scripture, every bit of it, everything that's in here, is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for good work. Here's the deal. We can't leave this thing closed and sitting on a nightstand and say we don't hear from God and say God's not speaking to me. And we can't leave this thing closed and sitting on a nightstand and say I don't feel like, God, like I go out and I do my life and it's like I only get reminded that God exists and that I'm a Christian when I you know, think on Sunday morning after my cup of coffee, well, do I go to church today or not? See, this is why we have to be in here. Because the more we're in, the more we put ourselves and posture ourselves in front of Jesus and his life. That's that's the whole reason I said, 30 days, let's get in the life of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus can come more and more to the forefront of your life. The next question that we ask if we're trying to figure out if a prompting is from God is, does this help others see Christ in me? Does this help others see Christ in me? And I chose those words on purpose. I specifically chose, does this help others see Christ in me, as opposed to, does this make me more like Jesus strategically? Because how many of you are like me, and you've tried to be like Jesus, and been incredibly frustrated at your inability to modify your own behavior? See, the Apostle Paul knew something that I think it would help us all to learn, that it is no longer you who live, if you are a follower of Christ, something miraculous has happened. Galatians 2.20 points this out. One of my absolute favorite verses, committed to memory. Galatians 2.20 says this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Paul's saying, Paul who? There is no Paul. There is no Saul. Saul is dead and gone. It is not, no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying, it's not me sitting in that classroom, or nobody's sitting in a classroom anymore. It's not me at that bank. It's not me at this job. It's not me in that traffic. It's not me making the kids breakfast time and time again, and nobody's knowing, nobody's reading. Paul's saying, it's not me. It's Christ in me. And when we get those promptings from God, we ask the question, if I obey this, would it help the other person or somebody around me See Christ in me. One of the biggest, you know, things for people to say, well, I don't, I, I don't want to give. Giving, guys, is one of the absolute most amazing ways that you can show to other people in a world we live in that is capitalistic, consumeristic, to say, no, I serve a God who gave himself away and so I'm willing to do the same. It's one of the ways, well, that's one of the reasons why next week we're going to talk about you know hearing God through other people. And we're going to lean into diving into a group. No, I, I don't actually just isolate myself and just go and park my car. Yeah, one night a week I do go, and you know, whether it's online or in person, I'm a part of a community group because my God was actually in community when he created this whole thing that is called earth, and so I want to be in community too. And I found that it just it's different and it helps. So, does this help others see Christ in me? And if you're here and you're going, like, okay. What does it look like when Jesus is in you? Who, who is this guy Jesus? What, what, what do I need to do then? If it's helping others see Christ in me, who is Christ and how does he come out of me? I think Philippians 2, 5 and 8 makes this very clear. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality of God something to be used to his own advantage. How many things have you used to your own advantage that you have? Like, we'll use a relationship to our advantage. Yeah, I know a guy who, you know, works at XYZ. I'm, I'm going to use it. Yeah, I know somebody who works at a car dealership. Let me see if I can get a better deal. Yeah, I know a guy who's a police officer. Let me see if he can get out of this ticket. Like, how quick are we to use just small, like seemingly insignificant things to our own advantage? Imagine being God and not using God to your own advantage. This is Jesus, and He humbled himself. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In our society right now, there's a big conversation, you know, at the Braves game, everything else. Everybody's talking about kneeling. This verse, it sums up the one that a lot of people have memorized that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. But I want you to understand why that happens. It's not just because he's God, it's not just because he's Jesus. He was in very nature God. He chose not to take that to his advantage. Okay, that's a rung down. That's a level of humility. But he didn't just stay there. Goes even lower. Goes to the place of saying, I am going to be treated as a servant. Goes even lower and says, I'm going to be treated as if I'm a slave. And goes even lower and says, I'm going to die a sinner's death that all of them deserve. Though I am perfect. And it's because he went to the lowest of lows for you and for me that God exalts him to the highest of high. And it's because he went to the lowest of lows for you and me that he is the name to which every tongue will confess that he is Lord, that he is the name that every knee will bow to. That's who he is. And so we get this choice on our life, on this side of the things, to go, am I going to do things that make me seem like less and make him in me come more and more to fruition? The third thing we can do to know if we're prompting is from God is ask the question, does wise counsel affirm? I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here. This one's kind of self-explanatory. Like You feel like God's prompting you to do something, whether it's to take this job, to go this place, to do this thing. Does wise counsel, like do, would, would wisdom of other people, wise counsel is, is, is getting other people involved in this, asking some people you know, who you trust, who are following after Christ. And again, wise counsel. Wise counsel does not equal Google. Wise counsel does not equal uh, just your group of friends who, who hang out and don't really do church. Wise counsel does not mean the people who you're online gaming with in Fortnite. That's not wise counsel. Wise counsel are different than that. People who are in God's Word, people who you look up to, people who, who, if you said, you know, for the adults in the room, if you said I would want my kids to inherit, inherit their faith, that's the type of person you go and talk to. Does wise counsel agree? I love what Proverbs. Proverbs is a great place to go for wisdom. Makes it very clear. Proverbs twelve fifteen, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. I don't know if you're like me at all, but man, there's a lot of times where, whether I'm in my office or I'm in the garage or I'm riding in the car, and I come up with a great idea. Everybody ever come up with a great idea when you're by yourself? <laughs> and then you get around some other people, you know, you get around your team, you get around your wife, and it's like, that's really, you know, are you sure? And, the, you know, the people who love you, they'll, they'll drop it to you nicely. But we all have a tendency to be balloons that need strings, right? Or we'll float up and get blown up in power lines. And so wise counsel is the string to the balloon that keeps us grounded, keeps us head on our shoulders and doing what's right. So if you have those promptings, take them to other people. Last thing, to know if a prompting is from God, is to ask the question, where is more peace? Would more peace be in doing this thing or not doing this thing? Where where would more peace be? To obey what I feel like God's leading me to right here? or to not. I love what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. See, that's a different kind of peace. That's a peace that you having a really well-worked pro and con list cannot give you. He's offering this piece that surpasses understanding to where on paper it will not make sense. And guys, I can tell you, some of the hardest prompts for me to ever follow in life were things that on paper made no sense. To take jobs that paid zero money when other jobs that paid actual money were on the table. To go raise funds instead of having salary. That's really hard to uh, talk your, your, your brand new wife into. But here's the deal. you got to go where the peace is. And hear me on this. This is critical. Long-term peace, not short-term peace. See, oftentimes we get ourselves into trouble with peace, because peace is tricky. Because you can go after some short-term peace, and you'll be good for a little while. And then that thing circles back around and punches you in the jugenum. And you're like, oh, man, I thought, I thought that was good. I, I, I didn't realize that. Here's the deal. The Bible has not called us to be peacekeepers. It has called us to be peacemakers. And that is a difference. And my, my encouragement to you in this question of where is the peace is go after the shortest route to the most long-term peace. And what that mean, is going to mean, guys, is sometimes you're going to have to suffer a little bit up front to have some long-term enjoyment. Think about Noah. God shows up to Noah, says, Noah, I need you to build a boat the size of a football field. I don't think it was really fun for Noah at the front, right? He's like, God, uh, what's a boat? What's an ark? How am I supposed to get all these animals in here? But you better believe that the day that that boat rested on a dry mountain, And he saw a rainbow in the sky that signified that now man was back at peace with God. That the hard work he did up front to follow the prompting of God was well worth what he was then experiencing. So my hope for you today is that you understand something really critical in this. That delayed obedience is disobedience. That, 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 that trying to press pause on the call of God in your life is, is a disobedience to God. And those of us with kids, we know this. Those of you with grandkids, you don't know this because you let them do whatever you want. But delayed obedience is disobedience. And today we're going to end a little bit different. You, you just log off, you, you sh- sh- close out the app. If you're online, we're going to end this thing a little bit different than we normally do. We're not going to sing a song. We're not going to delay. We're going to waste any time the big question is what prompt from God have you been ignoring? What what, what, what have you been ignoring? Let today be the day where God is circling back and showing back up to you and going, yeah, I spoke to you this a couple months ago and you didn't listen. And I've sent this message to you. I've sent this word to you today to say, I need you to actually listen. I need you to follow through on this. Church, as lovingly as I can say, based off of what I've seen in my own life, you have no idea, no idea how much hangs in the balance of you either choosing to ignore or obey the prompts of God in your life. But you have no idea what you will miss out on if you don't. I can trust you. If you obey, if you listen to the still small voice of God speaking into your life, you will look back on your life. How many of you on those times where you've listened to one of those prompts of God, you get back after it and you go, Man, I regret that. I sure, I sure wish I wouldn't have invited them to church. I sure wish I wouldn't have called my brother-in-law and just told him I was praying for him. I sure wish I wouldn't have sent that encouraging text message. I'm sure that ruined their day. How many times have you ignored those, though? You're not too busy. Don't, that's, that's Satan's lie. Don't, don't let your mouth say it, too. Go do what he's calling you to do. And today, that's how we end. So whatever that thing that you've been ignoring, that the Holy Spirit's been saying to you, go do it. Or ignore. And miss out. I don't know what that is for you. It, it may be forgiving somebody. It may be for some of you. That thing may be getting baptized. And you've said, oh, well, it's COVID. and I, Nobody can get baptized during COVID. Yeah, actually we can. It's possible. We can make it happen. We'll social distance baptism. I'll take a poll and knock you down. I don't, we, I don't know what we're going to do. We'll figure out a way. You know, we'll build a dunk tank. I I don't know what we have to do. We will find a way. And so, if you're here and you're like, man, I want to get baptized. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to be buried with Him. I want to come out of the water. How have my sin washed away. I want to commit my life to follow Him in faith. Then that's you. I don't know what it is for you. But I know there's something. I know there's something because I know our God and I know how much He loves you. I know how much He wants to talk to you. In the same way that timing is everything, I pray you don't miss this timing right here. You are in a Kairos moment of God. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your truth that is only found in your word. And I pray that it leads your people not to just be sponges that continue to soak up truth after truth after truth and instruction after instruction and instruction, but that we would go out and apply, that we would go out and, and show, God, that we have a faith that is accompanied with works and action and that we live out what you have put in. Be with your people as they go. Give them courage, God, give them courage that they are following you, even if it hurts. In your name, amen.